Okay, our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Mark McGarvey. It is entitled, He Loves Us. Good afternoon, everyone. Just going to rearrange my uh, sound thingamajig. Just fell off as I was walking up here. Oh, what a beautiful day it is, too, out there. It's nice to see those lower temperatures, at least for a few hours. I've enjoyed that all week. You know, uh, I, will do, I will say I do like um, a gr good romantic movie from time to time. Myself and my wife have watched a few over the years. One of our favorites is The Notebook. Um, there have been many movies, many books, you know, Romeo and Juliet, telling wonderful love stories. But the greatest story of love, though, is the love that God the Father and Jesus Christ have for us. I know it's a different kind of love. We know that. It's a different kind of love. But it is the fact, the truth, that Jesus Christ loves us. God the Father loves us. And nobody can stop that. No one can prevent that from happening. The creator of the universe loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us completely, and he always will. About 20 years ago, 20-something years ago, uh, my ex-brother-in-law um, said something which stuck with me for years, but it's true. Um, the love you have for your child is very different than the love you have for, say, your husband, your wife, your parents very different, very unique. It's a, it's a special love. It's indescribable. I mean, I can't put it into words. Um, sorry for those who don't have any children, but um, it, it's, it's hard to put into words the love, the emotion one can have for their child. Um, as the saying goes, I would take a bullet for one of my children, either one of them. I would give my life if it meant saving theirs. No doubt, no question, I would. God loves us, and he sent his only begotten son to die for us. His son died so that we can live. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, not just for you and me, but all humanity. So there's a story I want to relate here, which ties into a message in the Bible. The story of a man who had a very different beginning than a lot of people in the Bible, uh, at least in the New Testament. Um, a man who was very committed in his cause, in his purpose for years. doesn't say how many years before his, uh, his situation. But I want to begin with that. It starts, <coughs> this character, who we all know, <coughs> begins in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 7. And uh, verses 54 through 60, 
what happened here was um, Stephen, who became a martyr, was killed uh, sometime after uh, Jesus was, was killed. Um, and I want to read these, these few verses here, and this will, this will you'll understand what I mean. So uh, begin uh, Acts chapter 7 and begin in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. This is the, the, the people that were trying to kill Stephen for what he was saying, what he'd done. A big crowd had gathered round. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I'm going to step back a couple of verses. Verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. A young man named Saul. He was a man with a tremendous amount of zeal. Knowledgeable about Jewish law. And he saw these Christians as troublemakers. Who do they think they were? Preaching that the Messiah had already come? A man named Jesus? A carpenter from Nazareth? What nonsense, he thought. But, as we'll see... Saul's life was about to change in a very dramatic way. We'll skip ahead a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I'm, I'm getting kind of confused here because it's not back up on the wall there. But okay, we're good. You'll have to do it the old-fashioned way, look in your Bibles. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> right? Okay, so we'll continue the story here in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he brought them bound to Jerusalem. Now I want to stop right here for a moment and, and explain. The letters that Saul was looking for from the high priest were documents authorizing Saul to arrest Christians in Damascus. He traveled up from Jerusalem. Damascus is about 140 miles northeast north, uh, of Jerusalem. 140 miles northeast of Jerusalem. See, Rome permitted the Jewish Sanhedrin to control Jewish affairs. At this time, the new church was a Jewish affair. Synagogues, the early Jewish uh, believers in Jesus were still attending the synagogues. The synagogues in Damascus had to cooperate with anyone who had the authorization that Saul possessed. They had to go along with what had been 
given him passed from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, the headquarters, the corporate, as it were. Um, so Saul planned to take the followers of Jesus who had escaped to Damascus from Jerusalem to stand trial before the Sanhedrin and probably to face a death sentence. And the way it describes here in verse, verse 2, those who were of the way, was a title for the followers of Jesus. So we'll continue here in verse 4, Acts chapter 9, or sorry, verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Verse 7, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. God had blinded him. But he came with a an amazing, astonishing, bright light and introduce himself to Saul. So, Saul of Tarsus, as he was known, became Paul. But he was a zealot trying to capture and kill Christians before Christ himself intervened and called him there is a path for anyone, even murderers, if they truly repent of every wrong, every sin they have done. Of course, God calls them. But if they want to give their life, if they want to give their life over to Christ, they can be redeemed. The love of God allowed Paul, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, to be given a chance. Paul would be a great vessel for God to preach the gospel to the world. And he did so for several years, many years, suffering shipwrecks, escaping from prisons, and various attempts on his life. He had been converted from a Christian-hating Jewish zealot to a teacher, a disciple, or apostle for Christ. <clears throat> and wow, what a teacher and a prolific writer too. Um, 14 of the 27 books uh, have traditionally been attributed to Paul in the New Testament. Um, of course, there's contention over the book of Hebrews, whether he wrote that or not. I mean, most, most of us usually believe that he did. Um, but a prolific writer, and he went around Middle East for years. Of course, he was a, a Roman citizen, but a, a Jew living in, in, uh, in uh, Judea, Israel. But once God had called him, Jesus Christ himself, Paul was off and running and became a true champion of the early church, preaching the gospel all over the Roman world 
that would eventually lead to his arrest and execution at the hands of the Romans. So I want to go to my next scripture here. This is found in the book of Ephesians, another book that Paul wrote to those Christians in Ephesus. Book of Ephesians, chapter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 7. We'll begin here in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now I've got a little note here in my uh, Bible here down uh, about verses 4 through 7. And right here I'm going to quote this. Quote, God desires to demonstrate his kindness throughout eternity through Christ Jesus his son. This has nothing to do with our own merit it is only because he is merciful and kind that he reaches out to save us. End quote. Without God's Holy Spirit, without Christ's mind in us, the human race is spiritually dead. But because of God's kindness and mercy, because he loves us, we are given the chance to join Christ and live for eternity in his family, the God family. I'll move over one page here to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Continue on in this same, same theme, same line here. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God we bring Christ into our hearts like we do when we are transformed by the Holy Spirit we can then be rooted and grounded in love see although the love of Christ is difficult for us to comprehend um, sometimes the Holy Spirit helps us to get closer to achieving Christ like status This is true of both when Jesus was walking the earth and walking around Israel 2,000 years ago. And now, you know, he spoke and taught with authority, like the leader and king that he is. But he emanated love. It's a tall order to try and be like the most perfect one who ever lived but he's our example 
He's the one we look to. He's the one that we can pray to and think about. He led a perfect life, a sinless life. But he's our example, our King of Kings. So I want to go back here a few pages to uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Another one of Paul's books, book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans 8, and we'll begin here in uh, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing on this earth. His love conquers everything. His love conquered the grave. His love for us to save us, conquer death. You know, it's a great comfort to know that although we may not live to see the return of Jesus Christ in our lifetime, because we don't know the day or the hour, we will get to see him one day after we are resurrected. Resurrected to eternal life to live and reign Christ for the initial thousand-year millennium and then for eternity. He loves us. That's his promise to us. It's going to happen. So, this is kind of a short message today, but I'm going to conclude with uh, one of my favorite scriptures here. In my favorite book, the book of John is my favorite book. I've mentioned that before. And I actually read the, these uh, verses here in one of my other messages before, but um, it ties in perfectly with my message today. And I just had to read this. It's beautiful language from the book of John, beautiful words. So, uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And we'll begin in initially uh, verses 1 through 5. And then we'll skip down to verses 20 through 26. But John chapter 17, and we'll begin here in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which, we, which you have given me to do. 
And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Beautiful words as Jesus prays to his Father. You won't find anything else like this anywhere in the Bible. It's God's Son, Jesus Christ, talking to his Father, God the Father. The work was done, the mission complete. The way Christ talks to his Father in this intimate prayer is very powerful. Full of emotion because he knows it's his last night as a human being. Hours later, he'd be crucified. So that was Christ's prayer for himself. The next few verses, I'm going to skip past that, but that's, the next few verses are uh, verses 6 through 19, where he prays for his disciples. And then we'll pick up the story again uh, down here in verse, verse 20, verses 20 through 26. Christ prays for all believers. John 17 and verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, uh, that, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. There it is. Christ asking the Father, let them have the love for me, that I have for you and you have for me. Let them be one in us, he says. As Christ said in John chapter 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're together as one. So our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he loves us because he's kind and merciful. He loves us because he chose and called us. He loves us because he wants us to be a part of his family, the God family. God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son, and us.